All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity, for this privilege of gathering together. Thank you for keeping the doors of this precious edifice open so that we can partake in the very bread of life, Father, that we can have our bellies filled this morning on a sloppy New England morning, Father. We're just so grateful that we're able to be here in good health and cheer, Father. We're just humbled by it all. Thank you, Father, for giving us the word that sets us free. We know that that's what the truth is meant to do, to sanctify us, to set apart for your, us apart for your good purposes, Father, in time, so we might bring glory to you. Thank you for revealing to us the deceitfulness and the nature of sin itself. Even though sometimes it stings to dig that deep, Father, we're open to it, to your grace, your mercy, and of course your love. We pray for those that can't be with us for a variety of reasons, and we pray most of all for those that are still lost, that they might be saved before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this even a reality, something to enjoy, to worship through. Father, we just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, before we dig in, uh, I wanted to share a couple of correspondences with you. Uh, these are individuals, two individuals um, on separate occasions that just happen to be sharing um, with me via like email or text or what have you. Uh, the first person says, We see nothing. We know nothing. We don't love serve, obey, live as we ought. He is 100% love. We are 100% depraved. We have no clue as to how truly magnificent he is. My prayer? I pray he lets me see him, what I can bear, what I can understand in my finite mind, so I may love and honor and obey. This same person went on to say, I want to know why the angels, or I wanted to know why the angels sing day and night to him. Seemed a bit obnoxious to me. What kind of God demands that constant adoration? So in my arrogance, I humbly asked for an explanation as if he needs to explain himself to me, but he chose to. He personally does not demand it, his essence, perfection, love, those aspects which are him are what demand it. Because when you see, truly see, who he is as angels do, the only response is praise and adoration. Well said. I had another person share the following with me. Pastor, I wanted to say thank you for being a real shepherd, all capitals. I guess that's so DJ can even read it. <laughs> wanted to say thank you for being a real shepherd. This is one sheep who needs the rod once in a while. Thank you for using the staff. Sometimes we need the hook of the staff for compassion, to stay away from the thorn bushes, and sometimes we need the rod to stay in line. If people in the local assembly don't like it, maybe they're not hearing their shepherd's voice, capital S, reference to Jesus. 
Maybe they need to find their shepherd, capital S. Thank you again, Pastor, for staying real with the truth. So I appreciate those two, and I I share those with you um, for the sake of encouragement. That's always the reason why uh, it has really very little to do with me. It has a lot to do with all of you, and I want you to understand that people like that exist in this congregation, that if you can relate to them, know that you're not alone. That there's, um, you know, we're not a huge congregation, but we're a pretty tight-knit family, and one that I think is marching, for the most part, to the beat of the same drum. We all have our moments, we all have our weaknesses, we all have our issues, um, but from my perspective, we are organized, and we are prepared for battle, um, and he continues to keep us marching in a direction that, uh, unfortunately, sadly, most churches nowadays, most, quote, Christian churches nowadays, refuse to walk in. And so, um, for whatever it's worth, I'm proud of you all. I know that's a a sin, but hopefully uh, you understand that even Paul said such things, that there's such thing as a righteous pride, um, and that's a good thing. So just keep it up, and uh, thank you for sharing when you do. Um, Changing gears, I want to open up with a reminder of the nature of sin. Now, this is just a quick survey of sin in the Bible. And you can, you can take it on yourself. These notes, as always, are going to be on the website. I'm not going to take you to all the verses. Uh, I'm just going to show you through Scripture what sin is likened to, just as a reminder to get us started this morning. Sin is likened to carcass scum in a boiling pot. Ezekiel 24, 10-12 The blood and pollution of a newborn child. Ezekiel 16, 4 and 6. Putrefying sores. Isaiah 1, 5-6. A menstrual rag. Isaiah 3, 22. Lamentations 1, 17. A dead and rotting body. Romans 7, 24. Sin is likened to the offensive stench and poisonous fumes of an open grave, Romans 3.13. The lusts of the devil, John 8.44. An ulcer or gangrene, 2 Timothy 2.17. The dung of filthy creatures, Philippians 3.8. And the vomit of a dog or the wallowing of a pig in the mire, 2 Peter 2.22. That is how the Bible likens sin. Those are the things in the description, just some of them. It's a quick survey of the nature of sin. It is disgusting. In every way grotesque. In every way unholy. And that's why that, this fervency keeps coming from the pulpit. I'm surprised I haven't lost my voice. It's because the deceitful part of sin itself, the ugliness of sin is the deceit itself. It's that grotesque. Any questions? (laughs) And for the record, you know, this isn't all of it. Hardly. 
Sin is much more insidious than those things we can relate to with our natural senses. You know, I was reading on uh, sin, and it's funny because what do you do when you try to describe sin? The only thing you can describe sin is like sin itself. It's like God. How do you describe God? The only way you can describe God is by saying He's God. The only way you can describe sin truly is to call it sin. And like the Bible it might say, becomes more sinful. <laughs> we don't have words for it. It's, it's, the, it's the ultimate. It's the end point. We, we just sort of keep throwing words at it and adjectives and, and, and liken it to um, things we can conjure up in our own uh, imaginations. And, and it never does full justice. And I think that's part of the problem. We never give sin full credit. We never give sin full credit. And to our defense, it's really hard sometimes because we can't even like describe it fully. So sin is much more insidious than those things we can relate to with our natural senses. Sin is something that really only the light of the Word can discover in us. And so we've been on this journey of discovery um, because when something's deceitful, we have to go looking for it. It's, it's hiding by, ver- by its very nature. And so we've been on this sort of journey. And the only thing, when you look under a rock, it's dark under there. You have to shine a light under there. When the Spirit turns over a stone in your soul, you need the light to see what's under there. And that's the only choice we have. Because God knows we can't do it on our own. Um, sin is something that only the light of the Word can discover in us. David, King David, a man after God's own heart, Acts 13.22, was the one who wrote Psalm 139. Go there, Psalm 139.23. Psalm 139.23. And it's important for you to remember that David is described by God as a man after his own heart. So you have to say, all right, if he's a man after his own heart, what about David might be the indicator? What's indicative of that statement? Well, here we have a very good point to look at, a very good reason why God would say that, a man after his own heart. Look at his humility. Look at his willingness. Look at what his desire was. What is God's desire for you? For you to be saved and then come to the knowledge of Him. To orient to Him. To understand what His will is. To find out what's pleasing to Him. So that glory goes to Him. That's what David wanted. Look at Psalm 139.23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. In other words, put me to the test even. Try me. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. Who's he concerned with? God. He doesn't want to hurt the one he loves the most. Is there any hurtful way in me? He doesn't want to hurt any of his children because that would hurt God. That would be injurious to God, you see. Offensive to him. 
and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. No wonder God proffered him that way. No wonder why God describes David as a man after his own heart. No wonder why. Why? Because all he really wanted was orientation and fellowship with him. Now, that's, uh, we could stop right here and I could just keep preaching for the next hour on that one topic and go around the room and say, hey, how is it that you're doing this or not? Is this your attitude? Because this is what true humility looks like. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's the question. That's the line of questioning that gets us to the right place. We examined ourselves a bit recently like this. And just reflecting back on that examination, this was from a couple of messages back, but it's been coming up over and over again. If you love someone, do you ever want to hurt them? I mean, is there any doubt that David loved the Lord? No, of course not. And he said, show me any hurtful way in me. I love you. I don't want, you're the last person I want to hurt. So if you love someone, do you ever want to hurt them? And if you're hurting them, unknowingly even, don't you want to stop? But if you're not aware of it, you'd be grateful if that person let you know, right? The point is simple. If you have genuine love for someone, you want to stop hurting them right away. Hopefully. If you have genuine love for someone, you want to stop hurting them right away. Likewise, if you truly love God, you don't want to, quote, hurt Him, to use an anthropopathism. He doesn't hurt necessarily the way we do. But we certainly can offend Him and hurt Him in His own way. If you truly love God, you don't want to hurt Him. And when God points out a new sin in you, By shining light into darkness, you confess it and say, thank you. Thanks for showing me that. I didn't even know it. I had someone else write to me in great detail um, how grateful they are that they didn't even realize some of the stuff that was going on in their own life that was hurtful to God. And they said, Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a vessel in my deliverance. That's what confession looks like. Didn't realize it. Thank you for showing me, Lord, because I love you above all others. I just want to know. We were having that discussion before class. You know, a lot of so-called Christians, they don't really want to know. They don't really want to know. So they don't show up to churches like this. They show up to churches that teach watered-down gospels and fluffy stuff that feels good. Oh, they use all the right language. They, they, their steeple's probably twice the size of ours. We don't even have one, but you know what I'm saying. Their church is like giant. they got stained glass windows. Sometimes not. Sometimes they look just like this, and they're just as phony as the ones with the hoopla. 
Why is that? Why do those churches prosper? This is, doesn't that sound like the psalmist again? Why do the wicked prosper? It's almost like, an, it's like a complete affront to Jesus Christ. So when God points out a new sin in you by shining light into darkness, you confess it and say, thank you. Think about it. Having any affections and walking in a direction that is not towards Christ is against the sovereign will of God. And what do we know this as by name? A sin. Any affections and walking in a direction that is not towards Christ is against the sovereign will of God. And by definition, we call this a sin. So the question is, knowing this hurts him, knowing that sin hurts him, why do you do it? Knowing that sin hurts the one that saved you, why do you do it? <laughs> your freedom and your sanctification lies in your honest answer to that question. Why do you do it? Are you saying, you have two options. Either you're doing it on purpose to hurt him, which would be completely evil, or you just don't care. You're too self-absorbed. Your freedom and your sanctification lies in your honest answer to that question. If you know it hurts him, why do you do it? Back to our analogy for a moment. One of the ways you can tell if a person truly loves you or not is if they really want to know or if they really want to know if they are hurting you, and if and when they discover such a thing, they do everything possible to stop it. That's how you know. You ready? That's how you know that their love for you is greater than their love for themselves. When they're willing to put everything of their own aside to stop hurting you, that's when you know their love for you is greater than their love for themselves. If they don't stop, or they merely put on a, you know, a good show for a while, eventually you must conclude that they are selfish, fleshly lovers. It's, ne it's never been about you, do you understand? At that juncture, you have to accept that it's never been about you. It's always been about them. And that's why David said, try me. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Put me to the test. Frankly, if you're a believer, you need to protect yourself from people like that. Selfish lovers, because they are of the evil variety of people. That's why the Bible says, you know, you should never shack up with an unbeliever as a believer. What fellowship is there with lightness and darkness, righteousness and Belial? 
You need to protect yourself from people like that. It's bad enough that we do this stuff to each other. Never mind someone completely void of any righteousness whatsoever, or any love for Jesus Christ whatsoever, completely dominated by sin. God forbid you get in a relationship with some, someone like that. The only way they know how to love you is selfishly. Again, as David said, this is all we're trying to get at here, and that's just an example I'm using. Verse 23, you're still there, right? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Uh, Tammy and I were discussing this week's blog yesterday morning, titled, the things we pray for, and I hope you read it. And as I was sitting there, I saw the little sign in my home, and it reads, count your blessings. So I was just sitting there, you know, with my coffee, and I'm looking around the room, and there's this little sign, and it says, count your blessings. And it got me thinking that if we truly followed this advice, we'd have no time to count our I'm going to call this, so bear with me, I don't know what else to call it, our anti-blessings, the things we don't have. Okay? Let me say it again then. Got me thinking that if we truly followed this advice, you know, count your blessings, you know, everybody's got these little quips. We'd have no time to count our anti-blessings, you know, the things we don't have, the things we say, we, you know, they'd be nice blessings, but we don't have them. I call those, for sake of compression, I'm going to call them anti-blessings. Okay? Things we don't have, but maybe we wish we did. So if we spend all our time counting our blessings, there's no time left over. And if you think there is, you've got to go back to the drawing board because you don't appreciate everything that God's done in your life. Because you can spend from today to the day you die and keep on counting blessings if you're humble. Or you can be a, a typical American brat and say, what are the Joneses up to? What don't I have? We're going to talk about this because this has been coming up in my own soul and my own studies over and over and over and over again. It's the oldest pattern for temptation there is. Think about the garden. You have all this. What does Satan say? but you don't have this. You have all this, God said. Satan said, but why didn't he give you that? Isn't that exactly what we suffer from? Raise your hand if you didn't complain about something today. Yeah, because you're all sick. What the hell are you complaining about? Just put that into perspective. So the, the lot's not plowed. Um, there are people on the other side of the planet right now that would be willing to walk 15 miles to get to a place like this, and they wouldn't complain once. They'd get here and they would rejoice the whole time. Right? And some of you in your head, and some verbally, as I noticed as you went by the door, Complained about the slush. 
Right? You see what the Spirit's saying here? If you count all your blessings, there's no time to count your anti-blessings. Isn't that what God wants after all? Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Isn't that what God wants after all? Doesn't, isn't that the righteous thing? Isn't that what keeps us content and, and happy and filled with gratitude? Counting our blessings? When did we stop? When did you stop? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what God wants? Count your blessings. Rejoice always. Well, if you're counting all your blessings, aren't you saying, Woohoo! I am blessed. I call that rejoicing. Maybe you don't make that weird noise. Pray without ceasing. What do you, what's the first thing you do in prayer? Thank you. So you're always giving what? Thanks. Verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Do you see, this is not just for God even. It's for you. He wants you to abide in a state, a resident abiding state of gratitude. Isn't that, aren't those your up times? Let's face it, aren't those the times when you, you, like you're up if you're in, in a sense of a mood when you have something to be grateful for? Right? When the Spirit reminds you you have so much to be grateful for? Isn't, aren't those the times when you're like your highest? Like to hell with everything else. I have so much to be grateful for. I'm so psyched. I'm saved. I got all these blessings. Blah, 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 blah. And you're up. Yeah, God knows that. He created you. He said, how about abiding in that state? How about always remembering, rejoicing always, praying likewise, giving thanks for everything? Because you know what you deserve? Hell. That's what you deserve. Not a raise, not a new car, not a new relationship, not a new anything. You deserve hell. (laughs) Have we forgotten? Oh, you don't understand. That parking lot is hell. Oh, trust me, I know. I just came through it. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, Hey, listen, for the record, I complain too, so. Do you know what I'm saying? So don't think I'm coming down on any of you. like, oh my God, I got to shut my mouth when I walk by the pastor's door because I know he heard my voice. Now he's looking right at me. I'm not looking at you. I had to look in the mirror and say, oh my word, because I'm over there doing leapfrogs across the thing. You know, I don't know who did that path, but whoever did didn't put any drainage in it. So I got to walk to a giant puddle. <laughs> right? What the heck? Where are your galoshes, moron? Right? I don't have galoshes for the record, but because I don't think they look good. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Right? The whole point, right? You're not alone. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking with you. I'm guiding you. That's my job. All part of the deceitfulness of sin. Part of the deceitfulness of sin is you ran out of things to be grateful for. What the hell? You ran out of things to be grateful for? But you don't understand, Baldy. 
my family has to move from the, quote, blessing we call home and move into a lesser place. It's just so easy for you to say the things you say because you're not, you know, suffering the way we are. You don't suffer the way we do. First of all, how the heck do you know how much me and mine are suffering? You don't know that. Second, and much more importantly, are you counting your blessings or your anti-blessings? What makes you think that you deserve anything you have? If you deserve hell, anything above hell is a blessing, right? (laughs) So what are you complaining about? Paul said it. I've learned to be content in whatever. Sometimes I have, sometimes I don't, whatever. You have to ask yourself, do you even understand what blessing means? That's a big question for most American Christians. We think that prosperity is blessing. We think that having a new DVD player, or I don't know, whatever the heck you guys want, new hair clips, or shoes, or I don't know what you people order on Amazon. Do you even understand what a blessing means? Do you understand that a true blessing from God is anything that sanctifies you? Do you understand that a true blessing from God is anything that sanctifies you? That means, in a way, being in pain is a blessing because it's sanctifying you. It wasn't above Jesus. What makes you think you're above it? That's what a blessing is. You see, we always think blessings are like, you know, good stuff, candy and hairdos and shoes and cars and relationships. Well, that's what we always say. Oh, these are, our great, these are my great I'm so blessed. Really? You sure? Sounds like the kingdom of darkness is ushering in your life for you. Sounds like you're walking right along the pathway, which is why they're leaving you the hell alone. Sounds like you're frolicking in the fields with all the unbelievers. Matter of fact, that's proof because you spend all your time with unbelievers. That's what you call a blessing? When you adopt that system of thinking, everything goes haywire. A true blessing from God is anything that sanctifies you. Anything that does not sanctify you isn't from God. Anything that does not orient you to His will isn't from God. Anything that you've deemed a blessing, quote-unquote, isn't a blessing at all because it didn't originate with God. So when you count your blessings, make sure you're counting the right stuff. Make sure you're on the right sheet of music. When's the last time you thank God for suffering? Most of you just pray for relief, not deliverance, because suffering can deliver you. Relief is just a Band-Aid. Most people pray for relief so they can get back to their sinful living, you know, and go right back and 
create more pain that they're going to ask for relief from. You know what I'm saying. We call it dysfunction junction. They don't really want deliverance, you see. They just want relief from the product of sin. In our discussion yesterday morning, we got to talking about how people wrongly assign, quote, blessings to things that God doesn't want for them. And when they don't receive, or maybe they get it and then lose it, something like that, said blessings, quote, unquote, they claim they are suffering for Jesus on their cross. They're suffering for Jesus. I didn't get the blessing I wanted. Or I got it and I lost it. I'm suffering for Jesus. Such is the deceitfulness of sin. You see, I hope you do. Such is the deceitfulness of sin. It lies to you in a pattern that was set way back in Genesis 3, where the serpent convinced the woman to question God's true blessings. Don't you realize that's exactly what he did? The serpent convinced the woman to question God's true blessings. So much to be grateful for. So much wonderful fellowship from day one, from the day they were created. Perfect fellowship. Satan says, but you can't have this. He just doesn't want your eyes to be opened. Don't you want your eyes opened? That's the anti-blessing, right? Oh, hey, you know, I never thought about that. Had Adam and Eve, think about this, had Adam and Eve continued to spend all their time being grateful to God, using whatever provisions He gave them, which were bountiful, they'd still be alive and enjoying perfect, content, peaceful fellowship with God. They'd still be alive. Instead, they left their mindset of counting their blessings for the one the serpent suggested. Count your anti-blessings. They left their mindset of counting their blessings, which is where peace comes from. Isn't that what we just read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18? That's God's will for you, to abide in gratitude. That lifts you right up, does it not? Count your blessings. The serpent said, and this is how he sold, he, he sowed misery. Think about your own life. If you counted all your blessings right now, and you started doing it right now, you'd be like, yeah, this is great, it's great, it's great. And then I came along and said, yeah, but you don't have this. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, you were fine. What was the difference? You stopped counting your blessings. You stopped abiding in that sense of gratitude. And all of a sudden, serpentine-like thinking, uh, you know, lawyering, mm -hmm. let's go on the other side of this thing. What don't you have? Let's change the conversation. What don't you have? That's satanic. And that's why there's so much misery, even in this one room. Let's face it, the things you're miserable about, they're sinful. The things you're miserable about, 
are the things you supposedly don't have, but you want. Right? Some of you say, I'm lonely. So? Some of you say, I'm broke. So? Some of you say, I'm ugly. So? Some of you say, I'm stupid. So? What about all the other good things in your life, you jackass? Are you serious with this right now? You want everything? Oh, that's right. You want to be like Satan was. You want to be like the Most High. Oh, you want to be perfect. And if whatever's not perfect, you complain about. Newsflash, you're not God. You deserve hell. And he decided to save you, but... That alone, that one thing, salvation alone, should be enough for the rest of your life. And if you go overseas right now, that's exactly what they live on. They say it's enough. It's enough. My kid just died from starvation. It's enough. You guys are worried about not having enough for the football party this afternoon. Right? This is, this is the deceitfulness of sin. This is how it manifests itself in our lives. So this is, the, this is the pattern that goes way back to the garden. They stopped counting their blessings and started counting their anti-blessings. And it's the same way and the same one, the same pattern that we all uh, even deal with today. Instead of saying as 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18 suggests, Thank you for everything you've done for me, Lord, for I am what I am by the grace of God. Instead of saying that, we take the evil bait, the bait our sinful nature loves to chew on, by the way, and we ask that serpentine question, This is all great, but what don't I have? This is all great, but what don't I have? What's the forbidden fruit for me. You know, you know from the account in the garden it had nothing to do with the fruit. It was a test. Maybe that's your life. There's nothing wrong with the thing that you're seeking, which is why you can justify going after it. Nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is, because it's not for you. And God said so. And you know He said so. We all have that little forbidden fruit in our lives, right? Some of us, you know, more than others that we can identify. It doesn't matter. We all have something that was not meant for us. And man, lo and behold, isn't that the one darn thing that keeps us up at night? <laughs> isn't that the one we just blast through the Spirit? I'm not hearing anything. I want this. I'm going to get it. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I'll deal with it later. I don't care what kind of integrity I have to compromise. I'll deal with it later. Don't we do that stuff? You bet. You're a liar if you say you don't. Some of you live in homes you can't afford. Some of you drive cars you cannot afford. Am I getting anywhere yet? Some of you are pretentious asses. Some of you walk around with your chest puffed out. For no apparent reason. Because you're still abiding in your 
human self-esteem. And you got to show something off to the world. You know, ruffle your feathers out like a peacock. And if people stop noticing, you're miserable. Where does that come from? I don't no longer have the approbation of the world. Who the hell ever said you had to? And what do you care about what the world thinks about you? Honestly, if you want to be 500 pounds and never comb your hair and come to church, just please wear deodorant. Do you know what I'm saying? But if you don't, whatever. Who am I to judge? No, I'm serious. Who the heck am I to judge you? If you're cool with God on that, then so be it. It's between you and the Lord. It's, it's, it's a point. If God says, hey, listen, you know, take care of yourself at your temple, that's a different story. But if the whole reason you're upset is because of the way people are going to perceive you, you, my friend, are abiding and are deceived by sin. And your misery is a direct result of that thing. What don't I have? I lost the approbation of my peers? What are you doing trying to measure up with them anyways? What do you care what they think of you? No, seriously. This is all great, but what don't I have? So you have to stop. It's in that very moment, don't miss it, that our direction has spun around. I remember writing another blog titled Options. Some of you might remember that one, Options. It's in that very moment that we abandon righteousness for evil. That is the moment we are being trained in this series to identify before we allow it to wreak havoc in our souls. He's saying, don't turn around for it. Don't you do it. Don't be tempted. Don't be deceived again. Because you're going to get robbed of that gratitude. You're going to stop counting your blessings and stop counting your anti-blessings again. You're going to wallow in self-pity instead of wallowing in gratitude. You're going to turn direction towards depravity. God says... I just want you to be thankful for all that I've done for you. For you truly deserve none of it. If you want to know the truth, you deserve to suffer in the lake of fire, separated from me. Focus on that. For that is the great blessing. Stop taking the bait from your enemies and focusing on what you supposedly don't have. I hope you see the pattern here. The one set in the garden at the fall. That's what I love. I'm t- I was telling DJ that before. I could go, a, I, don't need, I could go almost forever. I could go a week just pondering the first three chapters of, just chapter three, how about chapter three? Just chapter three of Genesis. I could go very, 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 very long time on that. Why? Because everything that we know in our lives today is a derivative of Genesis 3. Every pain, every moment of suffering, all of it is a derivative of Genesis 3. 
And everything, every temptation and then sin is a derivative of the pattern set in Genesis 3. That's why it's not hard to understand what God's doing here. It's not hard to understand these kinds of messages. They're not supposed to be hard. That's another lie. We'll say for another day, peddled from I don't even know how many Christian pulpits, confusing people, lying to them, saying it should be, it needs to be complicated. The truth is complicated. You better get in the books, mister. Actually, the truth is actually really easy. It's the lies that complicate everything. So anyways, I hope you see the pattern we're talking about here this morning. It was set at the garden, or in the garden at the fall. If not, please listen to this message again on your own time. Or at least spend some real time on this in prayer. I'll say it again. After the Gospel Reload series, this, is, this one is a real contender for second place in terms of magnitude. I had one of those people that shared with me earlier um, say they're so excited about what's going on in their own soul. Not only are they following along now, they went back to the first lesson and are listening at the same time. Can't get enough of it. Again, I say, count your blessings and please know what this means. Do not buy the lie. Count your blessings and know what that means. Do not be deceived into thinking that you don't need to ponder this long and hard because trust me, you do. Some of you are like, I got, the, I got the little plaque on my TV too, you know. I know what count my blessings means. Are you sure about that? Why are you miserable then? I'm not miserable. Yes, you are. The fact that you're arguing with me proves you're miserable. Do not be deceived into thinking that you don't need to ponder these things. From past week, this past week up here on the board, understanding sin. Not only is sin negative against holiness, it is positive for depravity. Not only is it negative towards Christ, it's positive in a direction away from Him, towards a thing we call depravity. Some of you know that song that plays on K-Love, God is on the move. I submit that he's not the only one. Sin is also on the move. You know why? Because sin isn't ambivalent. It doesn't just sit there. It's not passive up here on the board. Though I'd like you to believe it is, it is quite active, energized, and encouraged. Its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 57.20-21, Matthew 13.37-39, 1 John 5.18-19. Go to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. Sin does not sit still. Don't buy the lie. It's always trying to trip you up. Always has that magnetic influence in your life. Genesis 3.15, told you, we just go back to Genesis 3. Anytime you get confused, honestly, anytime you get confused about anything in the Bible, go back to Genesis. And just get regrounded, like, it just grounds you. And you say, oh, it's that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. Paul, you know, Paul was, 
arguably a genius, right? And the reason he had to use his genius was to fight other geniuses, philosophers and, you know, naysayers and all these people who complicated things and, and loved to do like, like Satan would do, twist truth. And, and they tangled everything up and people that would listen to these people get all mangled and twisted. And thank God Paul was a genius. He was smart enough to see exactly what these other so-called geniuses did and unravel it for the benefit of the people who had been tangled up in it. But you understand, without, without all the lies, he wouldn't have had to do that. That's what I like about Genesis. All the lies hadn't been born yet, right? All the inventions, the speculations of man, with all the philosophy and the garbage and all and the science and oh, hadn't really been on the scene yet. You just have the fundamentals of good and evil, two seeds, that's what I like about Genesis, because when you weigh out, yeah, sometimes you get mangled, and you're like, ah, oh, what's Paul saying, and blah, blah, you got to understand the context, and yeah, there's goodness in studying that stuff out, but if you get confused, you go back to Genesis and say, oh, this is how simple it is, yeah, this is how simple it is. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed, the evil one, and her seed, the good one, he shall bruise you on the head, of course, the seed is Jesus Christ, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is where it all began, my friends, with two seeds. One seed sows peace, the other chaos and distress. Both are on the move. Both bear fruit after their kind. Bear trees. Seed goes into the soil. Sometimes the soil is conducive to evil, outsprouts a tear. Sometimes it's conducive to good, outsprouts some wheat. To borrow from a parable, the wheats and the tares. But they're all on the move. They're both growing. They're both sowing crops in this world. Go to Isaiah 57, 20. Both are on the move. Isaiah 57, verse 20. One sows peace, the other sows chaos and distress. Both are on the move. Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, 57, 20. The wicked, those that are, what? Bearing fruits after their kind. The evil seed. The seed that is accounted to Satan. Back in Genesis 3, 15. But the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet. Can't sit still. Wickedness doesn't sit still, sin doesn't sit still, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There isn't any peace. That's the whole point. There is no peace for the wicked. Why? Up here on the board, it's not passive. Sin isn't passive. I'd like you to believe it is. It's active, energizing courage. It doesn't sit still. Its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall. Up here on the board, John, 1 John 5.19 we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's how pervasive this seed is. How does this seed, I mean, how does Satan and the kingdom of darkness get people to do awful things? And I don't mean just awful like murdering one another. I mean awful, awful thinking. Things that are anti-Christ. Because it's on the move. It's a whole system. The world, the cosmos, right? The whole system is designed to promote it and propagate it. 
We are called to examine ourselves daily. And in doing so, we are consider or we are to consider all aspects of our lives, our lifestyles. This is the one nobody likes. I get it. Everybody's kind of like all of a sudden everybody's doing this now. He's like, <laughs> right? As soon as I say lifestyle, they're like, right? It's like, like everybody comes a prune, like. I can see it. You're count- it's hilarious. You guys don't see. You see, it's all micro-like stuff. And I don't even have my glasses on. If I have my glasses, I'm kind of glad I don't have my glasses on sometimes, because I don't want to see all the wrinkles in the. That's what happens. Guys are, you know, just say anything but lifestyle, please. Don't say lifestyle, because if you say lifestyle, man, my entire life now is on the chopping block. Yep, it is. And the lifestyle one's tough because, you know, a lot of people have managed to do this little game where they live a lifestyle, but there's nothing identifiably wrong, right? There's no, like, heinous, overt sin, you know, like some people have in their life. Now they just have this sort of, like, under-the-radar lifestyle that's completely evil. I mean, who are you acting like in the first place? The deceitfulness of sin. So if you're flying under the radar, right, you're deceiving yourself and others. You don't deceive God, but this little game is all based on deception. But God sees your heart. As long as you don't make any, like, you know, as long as the, 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 the they call it an echo in radar terminology, as long as the echo's not too big on the radar screen, you know, I'm not as bad as my neighbor, because, you know, then maybe God and everybody will focus on them because they're murderers or thieves. Did you see him on the news? Right? Dude's a pervert. So are you. You're just more satanic about it. You're just more polished. Just leave my lifestyle alone, please, for one Sunday. Nope. No. How, why, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever do that to you? We know that, quote, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Matthew 6.21 This essentially means that where our heart guides us, what we value in this world, the things we have affections for, it is towards those things that we walk. So I say, see, there's no sin along the way. The sin is in the direction that you're walking. The sin is your lifestyle itself. Sure, you haven't stolen anything in a while. But do you realize even that is a lie? Because every moment you disobey God, you've stolen a moment from Him, His glory. What should be His glory, you've stolen from Him to try to glorify yourself some way. So you're all thieves, you see? You're all adulterers. You're all thieves. You're all liars. Happy Sunday morning. Right? This is just, <laughs> this is just to get you to think properly about the deceitfulness of sin. If our affections for the things of this world, if, our, if they are for the things of this world, we walk as the world walks, in the direction of sin, towards depravity. If our affections are for God, we walk as follows, up here on the board. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Spirit's never going to misguide you. He may guide you into suffering. He may guide you away from certain people. He may guide you away from a job or even a location, I guess, in some ways. But he's not going to ever guide you towards depravity. And like it says a little further down that same chapter, the fruit of the Spirit, you get all that stuff when you walk by him. He says, walk with me and you get to enjoy all this stuff. Walk away from me and you lose all that stuff. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, you lose them. Stay with me, you get them. Walk away, you lose them. That's the Spirit of Christ, by the way, so-called elsewhere in Scripture. Same Spirit, same God, same mindset, same heart, same everything. Same God we talked about at the beginning of class. Same one that David said, search me, show me any hurtful way in me. That one. Same guy, same person. Same God. Walk by the Spirit up here on the board. Our affections set our direction. Our direction reveals who and what is mastering us. Towards sin, Teshuka, or towards God, Jesus. Who's mastering us? Sin or God? Sin or Jesus? Here's the running principle from this past week's messages up here on the board. How sin usurps sovereignty. For sin to be most effective, it must grab hold of our affections. If it has our affections, it has our attention, our direction, our, quote, love even, though it's not godly love. With our, quote, love comes our obedience, which essentially describes a sovereign, master-slave relationship. We read Ephesians 5, 6 to 10. I'll give you 8 to 10 up here on the board in the Amplified. Sorry about the eye chart. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the word, in the Lord. Excuse me. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to him your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. Whew, that's a lot. But that's what walking looks like. It's experiential, it's real, it's in gratitude, and it has everything to do with your lifestyle. It has everything to do with the direction you're walking. Not just your little list of to-dos and to-do-nots. That's what religious people like to do, and it gives them a free pass. Because it never gets down to the lifestyle. It never gets down to the direction. It's just about to-dos and to-do-nots. And that's religion. And Jesus said to religious people of his day, Get away from me. I never knew you. I know you did all those things. I don't know you. I know this person. My sheep what? Follow me. And if Jesus is going in that direction, guess where the sheep go? In that direction. I don't care what you do along the way. I don't care what kind of quote-unquote fruit you think you're bearing. Everybody bears some fruit. 
But if there's no love, we talked about this three, four messages ago. If there's no love behind it, then it's worthless fruit anyways. The one who loves me abides in my commands. What's the foremost command? Follow me. You see how this dovetails together? If you love me, you're going to follow me, because that's what my sheep do. The sheep love their shepherd. Stated more simply up here on the board, walking means to have a direction that is proof of our affections for Christ. It also establishes who is sovereign in our lives. So you see, direction itself, your affections, God sees the heart. God wants your affection. If, you, if he doesn't have your affection, that's not the will of God, and we call that a what? Thank you. A sin. You mean, wait a minute, you mean, you mean misappropriated affections can be sinful? Yes, indeed. Imagine that. Our God is a jealous God. Why would he ever be jealous if it wasn't a sin, if it wasn't something against his will? Anything against his will is a sin. Amen? So if you've got affections for someone other than Jesus Christ, Someone's above Jesus Christ in your life, therefore, you know, when it's like, you know how it is, right? Okay, I'm good. One person over here and Jesus Christ. And if you choose for this person, hands down, every time, that's your problem. He's trying to correct those things in your life. He's saying, stop choosing other people or other things or other whatever in your life over me. It's a sin. Your affections for this other person or thing, it's a sin. I don't want you loving anybody or anything else more than me. That's called a sin. My will is that you love me the most. Like, man, this is deep. Yes, it is. I really, honestly, we're on part, what, 18? I was confused. I think it's 18. You've had a long time now. You've had a lot of time. It's weeks and weeks now to ponder this stuff. I really, in truth be told, hope you've been taking the time to do so. If you haven't, I don't even know what to say to you at this point. I really don't. Maybe this will help. No one can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Maybe that will help you to stop playing a game. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we also have his ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Maybe that will help you. See the light in what's going on in your own life, why your lifestyle is the way it is, and why he keeps harping on it, and why all of you kind of like nervously, you know, giggle when the Spirit brings up lifestyle and makes a point of it. Why does everybody nervously giggle? Why does everybody not like it? Well, that's between you and the Lord. I have my own issues. But all of this, I can't believe we're almost out of time. I cannot believe it. Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> I hope you're not like, honestly, these, these messages, there's nothing to do with me, by the way. These messages are pearls. If I was to die tomorrow, I would want somebody to pick up my, my notes. Somebody, some shepherd to come along, pick up my notes, and keep running with this thing. Because these messages are pearls. Pearls among pearls. These things are truly life-changing. Seriously. 
Scott, I'm serious. He loves when I say that. It's like, you say that all the time and you get excited. It's true. These are hard issues we are investigating. This is where we ended the last few lessons. I cannot believe it. I guess I'm just going to end here again. This is like number five, right? It's like number five or something like that. I can't believe it. But just put that in perspective then. We venture out and we come back. We venture out some in a different direction we come back. We go to some other scripture and come back. What do you see here? It's not a lot unlike what I described with Genesis. We go out and we come back. We venture out. We investigate a few more nuances, a few more confused people, some accounts of evil and good coming and clashing because of the two seeds. And then we come back and go, it's really not that difficult, is it? And I just talked about this, really, truth be told, about your affections. If your affections are not with Jesus Christ, if they're for someone or someone, something else, and they're, not, and they're steered away from Jesus Christ, that, my friends, is a sin. You, put this in You were bought with a price. Redeemed from hell itself. From death. Redeemed from the curse. Paid for with the blood of Christ. Your life isn't even your own anymore. You're someone else's servant. He's your master. It makes a whole lot of sense to realize that your affections need to be towards Him, the one who purchased, who gave everything for you. And if they're not, from His perspective, it's a sin. It's like, ah, uh, I, des- I deserve this. I didn't, need, I didn't need to earn anything from you. I deserve this from you. So of course it's not His will for you to trade Him in or treat him like a, you know, he should be in the back seat and someone or something else is in the front seat. You can you you gonna treat the Lord Jesus Christ that way, like a like a rebound man, like a rebound guy. When stuff stopped working in your life, just like he said it was going to, you're gonna treat him like a rebound guy every time, bouncing in and out of. His life, so to speak, do you know what I mean? That's how we're going to treat our Lord? No, no. We need to figure out where are we headed, folks? What about our lifestyles? Stop counting our sins and lists and stop counting our anti-blessings and get back to counting our blessings. We have so much to be grateful for. And that is God's will. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. That is His will for you in Christ Jesus, to abide and live in gratitude. That's why sin is any lack of conformity to God's will, whether expressed actively or passively. That's all He wants for you to abide in that desire that He has, to be grateful for everything. Keep counting your blessings. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this wonderful opportunity to fellowship together, to... Digest the very bread of life, Father, what a grace gift this is, done in mercy and love. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.